Hey, it's Kaz, and we've got an interview coming up with Nigel Bradbury, an astronomer. We've also got music by Ix, by Schema, and by Rendacium from Derby. We're going straight into it. You're listening to the that's me chatting with Nigel. Isn't that so 9990s? You think so? It's the Casimir engine. It's not Kakaka. I'm Matthew Astronomer Nigel Bradbury, and you're listening to the Casimir Engine Show podcast. Wow! Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. That's very kind of you to invite me. I saw you up at the Flying Childers. Oh, yes, indeed, yes. It's yeah, that's when we first met, wasn't it? It was, yes. Um, and if, uh, if you're not from the area, Flying Childers is a cracking pub just up in the hillside from, from Matlock. It's and you were doing a talk on everything astronomical, pretty much, but focusing on something that we're going to come up with, that we're going to talk about a bit later on. But I've got a load of questions to ask you. A lot of them you're going to think, well, everybody knows that, but I really don't. And I'm fascinated to have a chat with you about this. I'm absolutely fascinated. I've got loads and loads of stuff to talk about. So we'll just go. So I tell you, first of all, where are you, whereabouts are you from originally? Yes, I'm born and bred in a little town called Bakewell in Derbyshire. So oh, Bakewell, right. born and bred. Yeah. Uh, the family still live in Bakewell, so you know, we're just an old Bakewell family. So I'm from Bakewell. Oh, okay. In and you, you, you live in, do you live in Matlock now? Yes, I'm in Matlock now, yes. Okay. I'm, yes, down near the Ark Centre down there. Brilliant. So, you're an astronomer, is that right? We better get this right, I can't call you an astrologer, can I? Yes, I'm an amateur astronomer. Amateur which, astronomer. Yeah. So there's a slight difference, of course, one, one yeah. gets paid for it, and the other one gets a lovely sport, shall we say. Where did you first get interested in astronomy? When I was about six years old, and I was a little book, and I was reading a chat about a chap called Sir William Herschel. Oh, yeah. And William Herschel um, was sort of in his back garden one night with a telescope, scanning the heavens, and he discovered a, the green planet Uranus. And, um, and that sort of hooked me, really. I was interested in, in doing something like that uh, in the future. I was, I was about six years old at the time. And oh, okay. I, I was hooked on it. And then I asked my dad for a... Well, I asked for a Christmas for a telescope when I was six... Uh, I didn't get one. I, I asked again when I was seven. I didn't get one. And then when I was eight years old, or the third time, for Christmas, I had, I had the telescope I'd been wanting. So I, I started sort of viewing when I was about eight years old. Oh, right. So it wasn't like somebody who introduced you to it. It was purely through reading and stuff like that yeah, that got you into And so you've got no family members who are interested in this kind of thing? or Not that I know of. No. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's not hereditary then, so...
Okay, when did you first, you got your first telescope at seven? Eight, eight, yes, yes, yeah. Well, the eighth, the eighth Christmas. Are yeah. we talking some kind of sophisticated piece of kit, or was it just a... It was what you got at the time. It was, it was only quite nice quality, but it was a small, what's called a 60mm refractor telescope. So that's yeah. a, sort of a lens on, on a, long, a long white tube and a, and a, a basic tripod. But yeah. it, it, and it was a sort of a sliding eyepiece focus mechanism, so it was 15 times magnification. Yeah. Up to about 60 times magnification. So it was actually quite a nice little telescope, uh, ideal for really a starter, like, like I was then. Okay, so what can you see with something like that? Yes, you can, if you know what you're doing with one, you can see the rings of Saturn with a oh, yeah. telescope. Yeah. You can glimpse Mars's polar caps. And no course, way. Yeah, you can do it. Yeah, yeah, with a bit of practice and you know, get your, your eye in a bit. You can sort of spot them with, with a small telescope. Yeah. And then, of course, with the Jupiter, you can see the great red spot and uh, the four main satellites of Jupiter, which are Io, Europa, Ganymede, and Callisto. Yeah. And you can see all those four satellites as well with a small telescope like that. So, what was the first thing that you saw? The moon, I would imagine. It was the moon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't go there, you can't. Yeah. Absolutely right. The moon. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Which is again, you know, something that I never tire of looking at. You can see a lot of detail on the moon. You can sort of see a crater or two on the moon, even with a small telescope. Yeah. And if you watch it over a period of time, you can see the shadow angles change on the craters. So you can see different details appearing as time goes on. Okay. You're going to have to give me lessons on this, you know, because we first started looking at um, the stars through just a pair of binoculars. Um, and you can get, you could get a fair view of the of the moon. You could see some detail and stuff like that. But I bought Mrs. Engine. I bought a, a telescope for her birthday, and then all of a sudden, I mean, this is just like another world. When you get a telescope and you get something that you can see some some di- some real real. Di- I was expecting to see Neil Armstrong Armstrong's footprint, but it's not quite that good. But you get some really really good detail on it. Um, yeah, it's true. You can you can see a lot, a lot with a small telescope and, and binoculars. You can see a lot of things with binoculars. Yeah, because you can't zoom into the Saturn's ring, for example, with binoculars. You know, it's yeah. not not sort of powerful enough to sort of see the rings properly. Is it an expensive hobby? It can be, but you can, again, it can be quite cheap if you get, say, a, say a used telescope. You can buy yeah. a second hand quite cheap nowadays on, with the old internet. Yeah. Um, so not really expensive once you get, you get kitted up. No, I wouldn't say it's expensive now. Yeah, because it's it just seems quite a technical, you know, hobby to have. It can be. I mean, some people do say astrophotography. They do some superb pictures. Yeah. But at the same time, it's something which you can do as a technical exercise in itself. Now you can also do uh, visual astronomy, where you look at a planet, take a pencil out and sketch it, and you can see the details on its surface. Sketch those details, and sort of get involved with it that way rather than taking photographs. Yeah. So I like to do that side of it more than the actual oh, photography right. side of it. Sketching of the yeah, and visually observing, uh, you know, recording observations, watching variable stars. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, scanning for galaxies with potential supernovae in them, which you can sort of there are certain galaxies which are candidates for supernovae, which. Uh, which haven't had a, a bright star exploding in them for many, many years, and they're yeah. about due now. One such galaxy is the Great Andromeda Galaxy. Okay. And uh, in about 1888, it had a supernova, which went to an exploding star. Yeah. And so that looked like a bright star in the night sky. It was actually in the, in the external galaxy, the Andromeda Galaxy. And since then, it hasn't done it, a supernova, and it's due to have one. So, you know, so keep your eyes peeled on that galaxy. <laughs> 
We can't find it. This is the worst thing. We've been looking. You can. You have to excuse Herbie, the studio oh, dog's fine. had a new toy <laughs> and he's just going crazy for it at the moment. But, um, yeah, we've been trying to find the Android. And everybody says, oh, that's one of the easiest things that you can find. Have we found it? Avriel is like, I can't believe that we've no found And yet, I think we've seen it, you can see it with the naked eye, it's a bit of a smudge if you don't look directly or you look away from it slightly. What's that called? Yes, that, that's called averted vision. Oh, right. So the human eye works in a simple way. The centre of the eye sees sort of clear detail. The edge of your eye, i.e. your peripheral vision, yeah. sees faint light photons better. So if you look at an object, offset your gaze a bit, yeah, uh, look at the edge of your eye to see it, and it sort of pops out at you more. It's called averted vision, and it works a treat. Especially okay. things like, like faint aurora, faint northern lights, or faint, you know, um, clouds in the sky. Anything that's really faint. Yeah, you know, look away from it slightly, and you'll see it better. Okay, so more easily. Yeah. So, what's your favourite object in the night sky? It, well, it used to be planet Mars. It's always a, a, a visual challenge to sort of see detail on it. With a large telescope, it's a very coloured object. I like to look at Jupiter as well, so yeah. planet, planet Jupiter. So you could say objects. Uh, it's, it's the planets, really, which I like to look at and recall the detail on the surfaces. You see, my weird fascination with technology and, I suppose, science fiction, because I'm a Trekkie. Oh, yeah. I'm a mad. I, I mean, I, I know it's not real, and I suppose when you when you're an observer of planets and stars and stuff like that, it's just it's well, just escapism for me. Yeah, you, you, everyone is an escape. I, I like Star Trek. As well. I like the original series, particularly yeah. with the old Captain Kirk. Yeah. Of course, if it was true, and if you could, for example, go at warp ten. Yeah. Uh, you know, which a ship is supposed to be able to do, it would still take 10,000 Earth years to cross our one galaxy. No way. It, it warped 10. So oh, 10,000 right. years. It's, you know. I've never checked the uh, Enterprise's speedometer <laughs> yeah. to know that, but yeah. is that how long it would take? Yeah, flat out, it took 10,000 years, it warped 10. <laughs> you have to get across our galaxy, and that's one galaxy, of course, in, in, in millions of millions. Isn't that so bizarre? It is. It's wormhole technology, you see, that's that. what need you need. That. You need wormhole technology. <laughs>
do would be assassins You're vicious, you know nothing Congressional powder kid One day it's gonna blow your leg Because of that, I'm absolutely gobsmacked when I see a satellite or I see the ISS, the International Space Station. When I see that flying over, because you, you can see it as a yeah. as a, a very, very bright dot, the, especially the ISS. Um, it it catches some people by surprise. You know, yeah. They look up and they, they think, what is it? Because they don't know what it is. Yeah. Some think it's even a UFO. Yeah. yeah, and so of course, and so and, and they do, and, and of course, they watch it going over, and, and I mean, you don't realize that there are people sat in there, you know, probably looking it's at incredible, us, you know. absolutely yeah. incredible. I mean, when Tim Pete was up there, it was a oh, real yeah. event to go out in the back garden yes. every Saturday night. It seemed to be that the you know the whole population would be standing, looking at it, thinking, right, there's Tim Peake up there. But I think for mankind to put something like that and for it to get into space is just. Phenomenal. And then if you lie in the back garden on a deck chair and you stare up, these things are flying all over the place. I mean, when I was a kid, I can't ever remember seeing satellites, but I suppose they weren't around. But there's, I suppose... I remember years ago, you know, just scanning the heavens with a a decent-sized telescope, and the field of view is about about half a degree, so about the size of the moon in the sky. And in that half a degree... I saw five satellites, you know, crisscrossing each other no. through space at one given time. And I'm thinking, you know, there's a lot of satellites up there which which we can't see. There's a lot of junk yeah. up there. Well, yeah, junk is a good word for it. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, is this is this something we special we can have a look at um, now at this time of year? Well, I mean, I've always we're I've, in March because a lot of yeah. people will listen to this further down the line. So oh. we're we're in we're in back end. No, we're in April today. Right. Well, we're in well, April today. Well, for example, from May onwards um, until I would say early August, go out looking on the north horizon. Yeah. For a thing called noctilucent cloud. Oh. It's a, a two sort of words. It's a Latin word, nocti for night. 
yeah. and lucent for luminous. So it means night luminous cloud. And it sort of runs along the northern horizon. As the sun goes down in the sort of west-northwest in the summertime, you can see a sort of cloud and it's sort of a, a silvery blue colour. Yeah. And as, he, as these sort of sun tracks below the horizon over sort of the midnight period, so it's under the northern horizon, this cloud follows along that northern horizon and then rises in the east-northeast in the morning sky. So it's only between the sort of times of May to August in the UK which you can see, which you can see this cloud. It's the highest cloud that's sort of known to man. It's about 50 miles up in the air. It's really oh, high cloud. Wow. And it's lit up by the sunlight from below, so you can't see it. Yeah. Until it's at, at the correct angle, which we get... To, Basically, in June and July, really. yeah. May as well, and potentially August. That's noctilucent cloud. cloud. Night luminous. It's, a, it's electric blue, okay. and it's sort of got lots of wispy, lace-like detail, which morphs and changes as you observe it. Okay. And it's often mistaken for the northern lights, yes. because it's on the northern horizon, and it's shining at night, hence night luminous. But it's actually not a lucent cloud, and that's something to go and spot out for on a, a clear northern at night. I'll have a look at it. I'll have a look for that. At the moment, I've got to say one of my favourite things to have a look at is... Are you going to laugh? And I know at some point you're going to think this guy's a real amateur. And I am. I am a real amateur. But Orion's Belt and oh, yeah. Beetlejuice. Oh, is it? Oh, Beetle oh, guy? They've changed the name, <laughs> didn't they? Yeah, yeah, but it was like... say it three times. Uh, <laughs> 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 Beetlejuice. Oh, yeah, oh, you so, got... So, yeah, so, oh, no, no, don't say it again. <laughs> Yes, but it's, it's like Uranus suddenly changed its name when I was at school as well to Uranus. Y- Uranus, yes. That's and right. then yes, um, yeah. Beetlejuice changed Beetlejuice its name to Be- yeah. Beetlejuice. Or yeah, the, something uh, like that. It's, it's how you want to pronounce it. It's, um, it's even spelt differently by some people. But um, in, in, in really, I mean, the, you know, the belt of Orion, which is you know, three sort of stars in, in that sort of row... Now it's in March, April time. They're getting low in the west. Yes. So it's sort of getting the end time now to observe that until next sort of autumn time again. You know. But that is, it's, it's bright orange. It or is. It's, it's yeah. quite it's a, a red super giant star. Okay. And it's uh, about eight hundred times wider than our own sun. Now at the sun. Hang on a minute. Eight eight hundred times. times. Mm. So our sun is is a hundred nine times wider than our Earth. So if you imagine the Earth as a centimetre, little sort of centimetre ball, so the, the, so the Sun is 1.09 metres wide, as a yellow disc, yeah. next to it. Now, Betelgeuse is 800 times that diameter. So near so, on a kilometre. Yeah, 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 compared to no, a metre and to a yeah. centimetre piece uh, well, of the, Earth. The, yeah, no, to, to the metre sphere of the Sun. Yeah. So it's it's huge. Um and it's about 500 light years away. So if you look at the belt of Orion and look above left, you can see this sort of red supergiant star. And just think that the light photons have been travelling through space since the reign of King Henry VIII. That's the sort of time, Tudor times. That is the time it's taken for light photons to get to us. Whereas cause for the, from our sun, it's just over eight minutes. So the sun's over eight minutes, light, eight light minutes away. Okay. Well, that star's about 500 light years away. So it's a heck of a way away. So we're looking at light that started when wow. Henry VIII was... Yeah. I'll just shut Herbie the studio dog up a bit. Get your toy. <laughs> get your toy. Go on. Um, so it's it's light that started when Henry VIII was on the throne. It, it, exactly. Before it hits <clears throat> our retina. Yes, that, yes, yes. it's travelled through space for all that time. You're listening to the best podcast in the world. It's the Casimir Engine Show. 
So we just had a bizarre conversation off mic about Herbie the studio dog who's just, he's frantic because he's had a new toy. And you say you've got a pet parrot. I have, yes, Donald. Don- <laughs> Donald the parrot, not yeah. named after Donald Trumpo. Uh, no, no. It no. talks more sense. <laughs> oh, it can't talk any worse, can it? Oh, you, it you doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he lets you know what he wants. You know, so, and how big's your parrot? Oh, I was only sort of, you know, about a foot high, if that, you know. Only it's, about it's, a foot high? I've had him 30 years. Wow. So, you know, it's still mayhem, you know. <laughs> yeah. Crikey. Yeah. Um, but, so, we were talking about Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice, yeah, yeah. Is it going to blow up? It's, it's... Um, a supernova? In terms, it's, yes. Okay. It's, it's, it's uh, unstable. Yeah. It's variable. So, it's, it's called a variable star. In fact, it's called an LPV, which means long period variable. And it's got a period of, of about a year and, and a bit. Then there's another oscillation of 18 years. So, it's, its official title is Beta, sorry, Alpha Orionis. And oh. then Rigel, on the other side of the belt, low to the lower right, is Beta Orionis. But it, they sort of changed the, the letters because when it was first observed, it was actually brighter. So, it was called Alpha at the time. Oh, okay. It looked brighter. It's actually fainter now. So yeah. it varies in light output. It's set to go supernova. I wouldn't say yet. I'd give it probably a few million years. Cosmic, oh, on a cosmic scale, yes, it's getting ready to go supernova. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. And what would be the effect? If it went now, would we feel an effect at that kind of distance? Well, it'd take another 500 years to find out. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so let's leave it to that, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll be all right, then. Bugger everybody else, we'll be all right. In 500 years, they must have sorted out hats that can protect them or something like that, can't we they? So. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, is, so we've, we've gone through the, um, the, the astronomical side of, of, of your um, experience, but you also run a thing called astro-tourism? Yeah, I take part in it, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I enjoy it, it's lots of fun. It's, it's very challenging. You know, well, well, explain sort of, uh, astrotourism to everybody who doesn't know, because I've seen yeah. the talk, so I was just <laughs> I was just blown it's away by it. Yeah, it I mean, obviously, uh, people are thinking, you know, the rockets. I mean, I can't name who they are, but you know, there are certain rockets which are set to be going up, ticking would be astrotourists, yeah, into intergalactic orbit. Oh, okay, and things like that. And, yeah, uh, we, that might happen in the future. It's never ever happened yet. You know. So, All right, so. Uh, it, it seems it's always on the news, and it seems yes, it like is. a certain record label owner yeah, is going yeah. to be taking people into space. Do you think that'll happen in our lifetime? Uh, or Richard? No, no, no I nearly I, said his I, I name. I don't then. think that the general public, you know, will be doing sort of that sort of thing in our lifetime. It, it'll be far, far too expensive. Yeah, the flights will be too few and far between you know, due to conditions, inclement conditions on Earth and things. Um, what you can do now, uh, which is just as good, really, is, is um, a chartered flight um, to do with astro-tourism on, 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 on a Boeing 737 aircraft. On a normal aeroplane? Mm, yeah. And we um, get on board the aeroplane, and to make it really dark inside, we blacken it out with black duct tape. With the crew's permission, of course. You ask the captain and crew, but the, uh, you know, they let you, let you get on with it. I take it there's nobody going on holiday on this plane at no, the same time? No, just, just fly from the UK, you say, you, you know, East Midlands Airport or, or whichever other airport it would be, uh, any UK airport. Yeah. And we fly from the airports and uh, sort of just north of Shetland, we hover around in sort of circles. Um, and we sort of look at the lights, the aurora, the northern lights on one side of the aeroplane and the stars on the other. Wow. And then uh, the aeroplane turns around and then 
the other side look at it, you know, and, 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 uh, and then the stars on the other side. So they also get an alternate, al- alternative view of the night sky from, you know, seven miles high over the North Atlantic, which is it's jet black, and the aeroplane's black inside. Yeah. So the, 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 the naked eye really expands to its maximum to sort of see as much as it can. So it's a, you know, it really is the finest view, certainly of the stars. Which you'll ever see, you know, it really is. Now, I can remember in the talk you said that you have to get your eyes adjusted. Yes, it's called dark adapted. There are, there are two levels to that. Um, one, you know, is your basic dark, adap- dark adaptation, which takes 20 minutes to do. So you go in a, into a dark place, Yeah. 20 minutes later, you, your eyes are fully dark, dark adapted and you can see anything in the night sky, which you should be able to see. After two hours, a thing called your purple vision kicks in. Which is when I think it's the rods or the cones. I'm not sure if the optician would tell me. I think it's the the rods. Anyway, they get coated in carotene, and so when they say carrots go for your eyes, it yeah, carotene. Yeah, all right. <laughs> and, uh, and it coats them with carotene. It's, yeah, that's called perfusion. And you can see even fainter when that sort of comes into play. And that's after two hours. So after two hours. How dark do you have to be before you can? Do you have to sit in a pitch black room or? No, not really. You know, you can be outside, away from light pollution. Of course, yeah. as you, re, you know, uh, sort of realised earlier on in our report, we did. Um, the um, the UK is to today still the world's worst light polluter. Really? Yeah. You know, per square mile. Oh, of course. I suppose. Yeah, the Chinese have got plenty of places where yeah. there are no lights. Yeah. I suppose, oh, yeah. yeah. But, but per square mile, we're still yeah. the worst. Uh, we waste more energy into the night sky. That's incredible. Poor design lighting than any other country. You know. So. That is incredible. It's a bright place.
I was at the top of the garden yesterday. Oh, yes. And I was looking out to the uh, southeast way. Am I'm 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 pointing in the right direction? Right? I've got my arm out, pointing south, over. You might, you might be south, south west. I'm not is sure that? Oh, of course it is. You, 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 you're yeah, being polite. Be. Yeah, you're just being polite now. Yeah, it's a south west. Sorry. Yeah, south west. Um, and there was a really, really bright star. Okay. Well, so the first star to come out at night. Yeah. Would it be a star or would it be a planet? Ah, you see, well, if it's a star, you see, uh, into the west, you're saying about the, the great, the belt of Orion, the hunter, with the three stars. Mm-hmm. So you can see that in the west, well, after sunset, when it goes dark. And to the left of that, uh, about hand span away, if you like, so if you hold your hand out at its arm's length, mm-hmm. spread your fingers out, and put your little finger, see your right <laughs> finger, put your little finger on the belt of Orion, and your thumb should be about where the brightest star in the night sky is. That's called Sirius. Okay. So Sirius is the brightest star in the night sky. So and that, that's, that's we'll, we'll, like, is, is that like our sun, or is that... It's, it, it's, it's a star. It yeah. is a star, yes. It's, it's actually 22 times brighter than the sun. So will that have planets around it, then? Doubtful. Doubtful. Oh. It, it is interesting... Um, in about 1885, the Victorian astronomers have been measuring Sirius uh, through space. And as it travels through space, rather than going through in a straight line, it appeared to wobble from side to side over a, a time period of about 50 years. So they soon deduced there was a, a thing called an unseen companion uh, pulling on it. And um, it was discovered in 1888, visually, which is called the secondary star. So the primary star is Sirius. Then there's a secondary star called Sirius B, which is a white dwarf star, and it's pulling on Sirius itself. Okay, and that's causing the wobble. It is, yes, about a 50-year period, of an orbital period of 50 years. Okay. So when I look out, then, at the night sky, I've always yeah. wanted to say that, you know. I'm looking out to the night sky. If it's clear. If it, <laughs> yeah, when it's not raining, right. I'm looking out at the night sky. And there's millions and millions of stars in the Milky Way. Yeah. Are you saying then, and I'm not holding you to this, but nobody can prove it anyway, so you can really say what you want, but are there not planets around all of those stars? Like, Are they not like mini... Oh, well, I think many stars have got planets going around them. Yeah. It's just seeing them. You know, they're so far okay. away. Um, don't forget, planets, unlike stars, don't shine by themselves. So if you put... They're only the there, reflection of the sun. Yes, exactly. So, okay. yeah, exactly. So like our moon, for example, doesn't shine at all. Yeah. It just reflects the sunlight off its surface. So, of course, a star, which is a lot further away, if it's got a planet going around it, you can, all you can see is, is the light reflecting off the planet's surface. Now, at that distance, it's extremely faint. So, again, you know, you, we, we could probably detect those in the future properly with space-based equipment. Okay. Rather than telescopes from the, on the Earth. So what's the best place? If somebody wants to get into um, astronomy, what's the yeah. best place to go to to get, to get advice, to find out what kind of telescope, that kind of thing? Yeah. Without doubt... I would say, if, no matter where you're in the UK, and of course we're here in Matlock in, in Derbyshire, go to your local astronomy club. You know, yeah. they, they exist for you, the public. Um, the members have got telescopes. You can see their telescopes. 
Yeah. Um, so they'll help you with and advise you, you know, with their telescopes and things. They'll show you how to work them. From that, you could decide if you wanted to buy one yourself or not. So I would advise against, for example, going to a shop and just buying a telescope. Go like see what local... I did. <laughs> yeah, a lot do. And you know, gathering dust, you know, which is a sad thing. I would say go to your local club uh, and meet them and have a chat to them and they'll point you in the right direction. Yes. Okay. Good advice. Um, there's been talk about the Americans, the Chinese and... Is it the Indians who are all in a race for Spain? The Russians, I think, all in a race to get back to the moon. Yes. Do you think we'll go back to the moon again? Do yes. You th- in our lifetime? Yes, I say <laughs> somewhat tentatively, yes. Yeah. Um, I think it was Buzz Aldrin, uh, the second man on the moon, that once said, you know, when, when they go back to the moon in the future, they, they don't realise how hard it was you know, until they do go back. You know, it, it was so difficult, you know, getting a man back from, not going to the moon, but coming back from the moon to Earth. That was a, a difficult bit, really, yeah. about it. And um, so it's a difficult thing. Uh, I think they'll do it, yes. I, there's, I mean, there are, as you say, four different countries trying to do that now. Uh, so I think it'll happen, yeah. I don't know who's going to be first to do it, though. What do you think about the conspiracy theories about us not actually going to the moon in the first place? Um, well, there's no, there is no, there is no sort of discussion to be had on it. You know, we, we went to the moon, uh, yeah. and that's it. You know, it, it's that's a final thing. We, we, we went to the moon. There's no, to me, there's, for me, there's no debate about it. Are there not telescopes that can see remnants of machinery or something like that on the moon, or are they just not not strong enough to see it? Yeah, from here, no, it, it, it's too, it's too, even the moon is too far away to sort of show the really? footprints. Yeah, you know, the, 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 you know, it's like the man's footprints, or even, yeah. even the lunar roving vehicle. Yeah, the LRV. you can't see that. Not, not from Earth, no. No. You could potentially see it from an orbiting spacecraft. In fact, I think it was revisited at some point uh, by, you know, you know a, a trip to the moon. Yeah. Um, uh, but... There's, there's nothing, you can't see anything from it, from Earth, it's too far away. Yeah. It's too small. Even with large telescopes from here, you can resolve detail down to about half a mile wide, I'd say, you know, at the yeah. best. So if it's smaller than half a mile, you probably won't, you're not going to see it. So gotcha. footprints are far too small. Yeah. Don't let me down Cup of coffee 
So we're talking about a spherical Earth. Yeah, and almost spherical, yes. It's almost, oh, sorry, yeah. yeah. Um, and at some points we get um, magnetic storms that come from the sun. Oh, yes. Creating the oh. northern lights. Yes, they, uh, yes, the northern and, lights. And there's been so much news about um, places that uh, it, the northern lights have become visible yeah. further south in the UK. Now, I think you're a bit of an expert on the northern lights. Yes, I could say with confidence that I am. Yes. <laughs> yes. So where's the fascination with the Northern Lights? Oh, it's the most majestic, marvellous sight I think the human eye could ever see. Um, they're not like It's not like on, on the photographs when you see all the weird colours. It's not the same. Um, OK. What colour are they then? Well, first of all, where, where, do, you, where do you find them? That's your first thing. OK. So we can start with our garden back garden. Yeah. Um, hope for the best, you know, on a clear night. Yeah. There's a very big website. It's uh, www.spaceweather.com. And if you use it's, uh, spaceweather.com, I think it's a NASA website. Yeah. It's a super website, and it shows you how it all works, and it shows you how the aurora works and how it's forecasted. And uh, so on any one night, you can go out, look at the auroral oval and the incoming photons from the sun and things, the, the plasma from the sun, and you can sort of see what's happening with it. And if it's a good chance, and it's clear, of course, which it has to be, then you can go out to spot it. That's in your back garden. Now, my, my friend who lives in uh, on the south coast of the UK, yeah, for, in the last fifteen years, I've seen it eight times. Quite on the south coast, yeah. it's still fifty degrees north latitude, which is actually far enough north to, to, to see it from time to time. Hang on a minute. Is it not? I mean, I imagine this guy knows what he's talking about, or lady knows what she's talking about. But it's definitely not your nomenclature clouds. Oh, no, it's not, you mean noctilucent clouds. Noctilucent, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, no, no, it's not those at all. No, oh, he's, right. he's, a, he's um, a BBC science presenter. Oh, right, so I'm, I can't criticise him then. <laughs> you know, the one with the first time the BBC. Famous, yeah. so, but, uh, you know, yeah, he's seen the aurora from there, you know, about uh, eight times in 15 wow. years. Wow. And it's, it's because of being outside, you see, looking for the aurora, you know, so that's why he's seeing it. 
Whereas, of course, it can be visible, you know, tonight. If you don't go outside, you're not going to see it. And, and you've been... You, I can remember in the talk you were on a, a cruise. I think it was... A, was it a cruise yeah, up I've in seen, Norway? Yes, I, I've... Uh, well, um, I've seen the, the Northern Lights out of an airplane window, of course. And also, again, yes, I've been to North Norway. Um, and also Iceland as well. And Finland. Now, okay. anywhere near the Arctic Circle... Um, which, by the way, let's just say at this stage, the Arctic Circle is not near the Arctic itself. It's 23 and a half degrees away from the actual North Pole, which is about the same as from here to Egypt away. Oh, right. So it's quite a way away, you know, okay. in regards to latitude. So when you get to the Arctic Circle, that's about your best place to see the aurora. If you go too far north, again, to the North Pole, you may probably not see it because it's just too far north to see it. So you need to be... Near oh, so is it like a glancing blow-off the, yeah, you, you off the to, earth? Yeah, you need to get under what's called the auroral, auroral oval. So oh. this is the, the oval of aurora, which, as it spirals down in, into this mag, mag, magnetic field, it's called the magnetosphere, yeah. as, the, as the sun's photons and plasma spiral down there, and they suck down at such speed because they're magnetically charged, and, and it's a magnetic field, so it locks onto the magnetic field, and it shoots down and funnels down into the North Pole and the South Pole of the Earth as well at the same time. As it does that, it bombards our, the atmosphere, oxygen, mostly oxygen and nitrogen, and it excites these molecules, and they shine with this fluorescent light, which is the aurora. Okay. And of course, the Northern Lights, the, name of, the official title is called Aurora Borealis. So, is there a Australis? Yes, Aurora oh, right, okay. Australis as well, yes. Yeah. Now, Aurora, and the Borealis means pertaining to the north, and Australis means pertaining to the south. Yeah. Aurora means dawn, um, like northern, like the northern nights is, is the northern dawn. So, the ancient people saw it as, a, as like a, a, a dawn in the night sky, like a morning sky, if you like. Oh. But it wasn't really, it was the, the Aurora, so it's the northern dawn, mm. which is the Aurora Borealis, the northern lights. So, do you f- on on your um, astro tourism trips? How far are you from the Arctic Circle from oh, that band? We're sixty north latitude, about where Shetland is. But oh. at the height the plane flies at, it's about seven miles. You can see over the Earth's curvature, so you can see beyond what what you'd see sort of below you, say on Shetland, <laughs> for example. You get an extra four degrees of sky, which is actually quite a lot. And again, you can see this auroral sheet. Uh, doing all its stuff. How do you mean above the Earth's curvature? Can well, you see the? Can you see the the well, curve? Imagine of... um, a garden fence or a wall, and yeah. walking towards it, and yeah. then sort of standing higher and higher, and you can see over the other side oh, of it. I see. Well, that's what you're doing. You're looking over the Earth's curvature, and that's ah. that stops you from below seeing the aurora uh, from say on any given night. You can sort of not see the aurora because of the Earth's curvature. But in the aeroplane, it's a Crystal clear sky, very dark, and of course you can see over the Earth's curvature. And you see more surface yeah, of the but Earth. Let's get one thing straight though: you don't see the colours. Uh, the eye, the human eye, won't see the colours, which which the camera will show. Yes, people will say, "Oh, yes, well, I've seen pinks and yellows," and you can, you can see all, you can see pink, yellow, blue, red. You can see all the colours: green. You know, it can be a coloured thing, but not like the camera sees it. And the simple reason is because the light photon hits the camera chip and, it, and it's contained and memorised on that chip. And over a period of minutes or seconds, if you like, as you expose the chip on the aurora and so the photons of light hitting the chip, it builds up these photons, intensifies the image and gives this intense colour 
on, on the actual chip, so you end up with a really coloured picture. Plus, of course, people get Photoshop and, you, and use the sliders to intensify the image. Yes, oh, now, I see. the human eye doesn't do that. It just sees a light photon at any one given instant. So imagine any a candlelight or even a light in your house. Look at that with your eye. It'll never change. You can look at it all night long. It won't seem any brighter to the eye. This is because the incident light photons hitting the retina you slide off it again straight away. So mm-hmm. notice the eye can't contain the image like a camera can. So you see as it is at that particular time. However, you see less colour but much more detail with the eye than what the camera shows. And so it's a fantastically detailed thing. And it can be coloured but not like, like a camera. So, yeah. When I've seen Joanna Lumley yes. looking at the aurora... Yeah, she sees it in green then. Yes. Or am I seeing what the camera's seeing? Yes. What that was, I went up to Norway once with a chap called Chris Tarrant. Not uh, the Chris. Tarrant. Oh, phone yeah. a friend. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 And uh, you know, we had five nights up there. What were you doing? Hang on a minute. What are you doing with Chris Tarrant in the North Pole? Well, he wanted to find the aurora, so we we all went up there and you know went up all the snowy mountains and. Uh, he sort of, you know, we, we saw the aurora with him and we had a great Were time. Were you like his guide or something? Well, I was with him, you know. You yeah. point him in the right direction, shall we say. You know, obviously we're, a few of us went up there. But, uh, yes, it, we, we, I did, to, you know, it was my idea to go and look for the aurora on, on the nights that we looked for it. And we saw yeah. it every night. Um, then the well, day we left, John Lumley arrived at the same place. Ah. Uh, it's a place called Bardufoss International Airport. Um, which is just south of the actual Arctic Circle. And Bordefoss is near a little village called Malselv, and there's a, a ski resort there. And we sort of went there, you know, and had a few nights up there, looking through the aurora, which we saw it every night. Now, Joan Lumley, um, you know, looked, looked at the aurora. Now, the, the programme is edited, where she tries to find it the first night, and she, she goes out to try to find it, and she's on, to say, a dog sled, you know, doing husky, you know, tries to find the aurora, fails miserably. The second night she goes to an ice hotel and again she tries to find the aurora but fails miserably. The third night she goes just out on a lake or something to try and find it, doesn't see it. The final night she's there, the last gasp, uh, this Norwegian tour guide takes her to a place where there's a gap in the clouds and there's this superb display which she sees. And all the viewers of watching the programme go, oh, crikey for that, she's done it. Yeah, in truth, she saw it every night. Oh. Yeah, but it's how they edit the programme. Oh, I see. Um... So, You've yeah. broken the magic. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah, but here's more magic to break then. What you see on TV, uh, which is the Aurora, and she's watching the Aurora and pointing at it like that. Yeah. Well, she was seeing the Aurora, but what you see is a projected, projected image onto a screen. So it's a projected image. What you actually what, what No. Thing. Yeah, it is, yeah. yeah. We always think it's speeded up. Often these animations are sped up, yes. Okay. Yes. Um, the best ones aren't, but yes, obviously some of them are. That one on Journal Promo wasn't sped up, it was, I think, real time. Oh. But again, it was a, a, different, a series of different takes, because, you know, um, so it was a different, a different takes, and they edited edit it all together to. So, should we seeing. only believe what we see on the sky at night? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously the sky at night's a, a programme, you know, it's an accurate programme. Yeah, not, we're not, we're not gonna it's miss, factual, miss yeah, it's, yeah. Not, it's not <clears> on, on ITV. No. So the Sky at Night is obviously it's a science programme. Yeah. yeah. That's a proper thing, you know. But she, she saw the... Joanne Lummy saw the Aurora. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I say, the viewer is shown a series of images, you know, running images in, in, a, in a movie, which is a series of photographs put into an animated video, if you like. Because oh, um, a normal TV camera, you know, a proper high-grade, you know, £100,000 broadcast camera, won't show the Aurora 
like a like the camera can with, with photographs into a, into a movie. It can't pick again. The photons are too faint, and it just looks as a grey a grey misty cloud. So, you know, the best way to see the aurora is to, to do photographs of it and then do a running animation of the aurora to sort of see uh. it moving through the sky. And it does do. It can it can be still all night. The aurora can be stationary, never move for hours, or it can strafe across the entire sky in two seconds flat. It can be as fast as that. It can move like very quickly. And, and this, and <clears> just for for everybody out there who's who's, who's kind of a, a beginner like like yeah. like me, this is magnetic wind <clears throat> from the sun. Yes, it's plasma from the sun. Yes, it belched out plasma. From the sun. Yes, yes. Star Trek. <laughs> Photons. <laughs> yes, electrons and stripped atomic nuclei. Yeah, all come from the sun across space. So, again, they're nothing. You know, they mean nothing at all. They're magnetically charged, but they mean nothing until they get to the Earth's atmosphere. So, if the atmosphere wasn't there... Yeah, we wouldn't get an aurora. What, what, what would the aurora do to the Earth? Is it, is it radiation? Is it... Yes, it is, actually. Oh, so it yes, would... it would be, yeah. Um, again, you know, with our magnetic field, it protects us yeah. you know, from, from most of the radiation from the sun. But the, you know the aurora does seep in at, at the poles, which is um, little bits of you know the, the sun's energy, if you like. Okay. But it lights up the atmosphere, so the, the molecules of oxygen and, and nitrogen, mostly oxygen, nitrogen. Those molecules are struck by these electrons from the sun, and they're lit up. You know, so it, it excites them into incandescence. <clears throat> so it's, that's what's causing the glow. Of course, the actual structure and the movement of the aurora is the Earth's magnetic cage changing structures. You know, the different levels of, 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 of magnetic sheets, if you like, and these sheets move. And so as the, you know, the stuff comes down from the sun, it's, it bashes into the Earth's atmosphere, it lights the atmosphere up, and that's all part of the magnetic cage as well. It's all moving, and so again, it can move a lot, or, or a little, of course. By statistics, okay. you know, it's most active between sort of 9 and 10 p.m., Greenwich Mean Time, and 9 and 10 p.m. Right. And then, again, about 3 to 4 o'clock in the morning as well. So okay. before and after midnight. It may be bright before that and fainter at that time, but mostly that's the best time to look for it because, you know, the, again, the auroral oval between 9 and 10 p.m. is at its closest to, to Britain, if you like, as, it, as the, uh, Britain rotates under it. So that's, that's a good time to spot for the aurora between 9 and 10 p.m. But if you wait out to, in the morning, again, you soon does get a second spike of activity. And if you do that, you, you, you'll see it. How can we go on your astro-tourism trips? Oh, well, right. Well, OK, well, Pete Lawrence, who's uh, one of the BBC Skylight presenters, mm-hmm. you won't mind mention his name because he's, he's a nice guy, he's got his own website and you book on sort of via that thing. Okay. And I think it's, uh, if you look on Google, it's the top of the Google search list, one word will do it, it's called Aurora Flights. And um, so look on that, it'll link you to the site where you could you know, book and go and sort of um, book a, a flight if you wanted to. You know, and, and you do flights from East Midlands all over the, all over the country? Yeah, yeah they, they fly from all over the country. Yeah, yeah. Got, it's a company, I think, is it called something like Just Go or something? And they do, you know, these flights. Yeah, they do. And, um, yeah, every airport in the country. So we can find Pete's website. Yeah, and look, Have a look on there. Yeah, he takes pictures of the Aurora. Oh, OK. So you can see all the pictures out of the airplane window. Yeah. Taken. So all that's on there, you know. And as I say, if you want to you know, look at where you know, the flights are in the future, they'll be on his site as well. Um, yes, yeah, so, yeah, you can, so you can see East Midlands, Birmingham, you know, Edinburgh, Glasgow, Exeter, Norwich, the whole shebang. Yeah. So, yeah, and it's an out-and-back flight, exactly the same as the Snowman cartoon. Oh, you know, right. Where the lad leaves his back garden, goes up there, you know, <laughs> and you just see the aurora on this green thing, you know. But it's exactly the same thing, you know. Yeah. You fly up, 
you know, from the airport, you go and hopefully see it, and fly back again, and you're back to where you started from. Yeah, but he didn't get duty-free, did he, while he only came no, back? No, he didn't, no, no, he didn't, no, 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 well... <laughs> That's another story. <laughs> Fantastic. Hey, thanks ever so much for all of this. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show and absolutely fascinating. You've got to come back and tell us some more stuff when there's something happening in the night sky. I'd be delighted to, and you're very welcome. Fantastic. Thanks very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you very much to Nigel for entertaining us this evening, telling us all about celestial objects, the northern lights... I'll post everything up on uh, Tinterweb and Twitter and Facebook if you want to have a look at what he does. I'll see you soon. Reliably mediocre.